Welcome to the Photo Advisor Podcast, the show specifically for scholastic photography teachers. I'm Clint Smith, the photography and online media advisor at Texas High School in Texarkana, Texas. And in this episode, we're discussing gear purchases for 2022 and 23. Uh, joining me today is Mike Simmons of Corning Painted Post High School in Corning, New York, and he is the co-advisor for the Tesseray Yearbook. Hey, Mike. Good. Hey, how, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. And then also we have Wade Kennedy joining us from the DFW area. He is the publications advisor at Richardson High School. Thanks for having me. A few things I'd rather do than talk photography. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. So I'll give you a little background. Uh, I met Mike, actually, I think it's this year, either makes 10 or 11 years ago at the, oh, yeah, it's at, been a minute at the, uh, uh, JEA NSPA uh, national convention. And then, uh, Mike and I are on faculty with the Gloria Shields NSPA workshop, uh, immediate workshop that happens every summer in Dallas. And, uh, we both, uh, advise photo, uh, courses during that workshop. Okay. So, uh, we're talking gear. I think the very first thing we got to talk about is in 2023, uh, in going into the next school year, does anybody buy DSLR anymore? I, I think Clint, for me, the answer is no. And I resisted for a long time. Um, I know that you had Bradley Wilson on or will, uh, recently or soon. And, and, um, he had been pushing and other folks have been saying like, make the switch, the switch is coming. It's inevitable. And, um, we finally, uh, got on board with that in August. We picked up twin Canon R7s, and um, I think our new SLR purchases are are going to be done at this point. The minute we put them in our kids' hands, they were just blown away, um, especially with some of the autofocus. It's just extraordinary. It locks right into an eyeball and just tracks it right across the screen, right live in front of you. Um, it was a little bit astonishing. And um, with the adapters that are offered and the way that you can make your old lenses forward compatible uh we've been really really happy it's a smart choice for us okay wade yeah i would echo that too i mean it wasn't long ago that i would have uh said go out and try to find a good deal on a dslr um but there's new offerings from canon and nikon both that uh puts you at a price point where it starts to make less and less sense <clears throat> excuse me to go back and buy a DSLR, uh, you know, whether it's uh, at my school, we kind of were early adopters of the mirrorless systems, and I've got Canon and Nikon both. And I would just say, you know, just echoing once again the autofocus capabilities, the high ISO, um, and then man, those adapters. Uh, I've got lenses that go way back, and so for Nikon, there is a cutoff point where. Uh, they're no longer useful, but for most schools and most of their modern lenses, they're going to work great. So, um, I, I, I'll never buy another DSLR. And, and wait, I think, or sorry, Clint, both of you to, to, um, <clears throat> echo the echo. I just looked up on, on Amazon, a Canon T8i kit and T8, uh, came out in April of 2020 when the world shut down. Uh, the kit on Amazon right now is eight ninety nine. Mm -hmm. The new Canon R10 that dropped in the last little while here, October body only, yeah, body only is eight seventy nine. Oh, wow! Um, so I'll grant you know for and for people, I don't want to sound um, uh, you know elitist or snobbery, but it, like if you know, you know, you can start doing the math in your head. And if you're a listener who's not quite sure what what I'm trying to get you at, if you are a an advisor that already has a suite of lenses, uh, EF and Canon in particular. 
Um, you slap in the R10, add on the adapter um, collar that we'll talk about or the adapter mount to get you from RF to EF, which um, the top, the name brand Canon, I think is 150. Um, it works reliably. We have two of them with our R7s, but you do that body for the R10, the uh, adapter. And so now you're knocking on, yeah, $1,000 and all of your old lenses work with it. And it's it's just a beautiful solution. We went with the EOS R is our, you know, our standard issue camera, uh, about, well, I guess it was two years ago. And then, but I was still had, you know, half my kids using R's and then the other half were using 80 and 90 D's and even some 70 Mark twos and a 60 Mark, uh, 60 Mark two. Um, but what got me was, is the affordability I was able to get into with the EOS R with a full frame mirrorless. And then th it, on the teaching side of it, um, having the exposure simulation in the viewfinder itself yeah, was, that was a so game good. changer. You know, it was, and so I always kind of joked teaching digital photography. I was like, guys, I learned with a notepad and a pencil and, and film. And it took me three or four days to figure out if all my stuff was good. But now you, you know, if it's dark in the viewfinder, it's dark when you take the picture, <laughs> you know? And, and so it was, it revolutionized the way that I, I taught it. Now, still, all the basics were the same where you're, you know, ISO aperture shutter speed um, and you're using your camera meters. But just the the learning curve, I always say now is extremely steep, but it's a good steep. It's because all of the information is there right right there in front of you now. Where used to, even when we went digital, you know, it was like, oh, well, it's on the back of the camera. But now it's literally at your eyeball so in, in live. Anyway, go ahead, Wade. I was just going to say that the uh, same level that we're talking about with the R10, that APS-C uh, camera, uh, for the Nikon is going to be the Z50, and it's the same price point. And so, um, you know, I I wouldn't, I, even if, so we've got a few uh, Nikon and Canon mirrorless lenses now, and you can pop those right on to those, uh, the crop sensor, APS-C, whatever you want to call it. They have the same mount for Canon and Nikon. So those lenses will uh, go on to mount to those cameras. And then you're going to get, you know, just like you did in the old day with DSLRs, you're going to get that extra, you know, 1.5 crop factor. And so uh, the so not to dive too deep into the specs too quickly, but uh, those APS-C cameras will shoot at 11 frames per second, something that DSLRs took a long long time to do and you were spending a lot of money to get to that 9 10 11 frames a second now that's an afterthought so when we're shooting action and sports uh you don't have to spend a lot of money and you're going to be north of 10 frames a second um which is pretty cool this is you know pretty amazing and on one of those crop sensor cameras um i had i was talking to an advisor not long ago and she was like well i'm not sure i want to you know i don't want to spend you know that much money and I'm not going to get a full frame because she's heard, you know, full frame, full frame, full frame, that that's the only camera that's worth it. And that's just not true. Um, yeah. So uh, those offerings are, you know, and in the coming two years, we're going to see a lot more lenses and uh, cameras. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, you know, which direction both of these camera companies go. Um, but I'm, I can already see that it's just going to give us more than we, uh, uh, a lot more than I thought was going to be possible whenever uh, mirrorless first came out. And I got to be honest, when I started making the switch, I was like, oh, this sucks. I mean, you know, I've got all these lenses. I've got this investment. I mean, I've got lenses since since high school. 
this is just the worst thing ever, ever. This is going to be terrible. It didn't take me long. You know, first mirrorless camera I got in my hand, I was like, uh, this is awesome. You know, especially when the adapters came around, I was like, this is going to be fun. So I'm having a ball with all of it. You know, I've got, a, I know I've got a young lady that, um, <clears throat> I've had since she was, a, she's a senior this year and I've had her for three years and she started off with a Canon SL2. That was the, that was the camera that I put in her hand, you know, and then she worked her way up to an 80 and then she worked her way up, you know, and as she kept getting better and better and better, um, it, it's like an 80, then a 90, and then she got an R and then, uh, she's one of my, she was a Texas image maker last year for ATPI. Uh, and you've probably seen some different things. She won some Jocelyn's awards and stuff as well. Um, but now that she's got her hands on an R5 and an R3, this kid is basically unstoppable. I mean, it's, it, 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 and she has literally told me this revolutionized the way that I looked at it, you know, because in the beginning it was, I was really having to focus a lot on the, on the math part, but now it's, it's, it's all instantaneous feedback and I can adjust and I'm, I'm much better at being a photographer because, you know, it, it, the, the cameras have made it easier. Now you still have to know all the, all the math and everything else to do the, you know, the effects and things that she wanted to capture. But, um, yeah, it, it is, it is definitely a, a game changer. I, I think the, the, um, I was thinking of while you were saying that the telling that story, Clint, that, that, you know, the purists, um, listening might think that the instant feedback from the electronic viewfinder is somehow, you know, a negative or like, they don't have to pay attention to the numbers. They're just going to scroll the wheel till it looks right. And I would say that, you know, I, I recognize that that could be a concern, but I would rather give, um, the advisors listening some credit, like let's do photo instruction right and and play the numbers game and then have the feedback of the electronic viewfinder so that the, that's happening in parallel that that the viewfinder confirms for a kid what they were hoping to see or it gives them feedback that something wasn't working right if it's instruction first i think that that validates that and um would not be a a, a concern as raised I wanted to note for the the numbers people listening that that EOS R um, shoots eight frames a second. The R7 that we're into goes thirty at electronic shutter, and it's just it's beautiful. It's uh, just oh, so much fun. Yeah, you know, and like I said, our our base camera for everybody to just carry around because I issue cameras to all my staff members, and their their issued camera is an R. Now yeah. it'll do eight mechanical, and then I think it does know, twelve or something. I think it might be twenty. Uh, in electronic shutter and what that's a whole nother thing to talk about too is electronic shutter and global shutters and all that um the r is okay uh for sports and mechanical it's absolutely horrible if you do electronic because you get the distortion um but that went away with the fives the sixes and the and the r3 or the yeah. the six mark two um and that is something the one thing that i've had to kind of look at is uh the tendency is to spray and pray, you know, and you end up with two or 3000 photos from a football game and that's just not workable, you know? So right. it, you got to kind of, sometimes you actually have to retard the camera back. Sometimes even put it in manual mode or not manual, but uh, mechanical shutter just that way. They're not just a hundred percent just spraying a lot, but that was a learning curve for me as far as teaching style and file management and things like that, that uh, that's one of those, it's a good problem to have, you know, because <laughs> you don't you don't end up you know completely uh, missing things uh, because of you know too slow of a shutter speed or actuation. Sure, I, I'll just take us back just real quick on the electronic viewfinders. Um, 
I really like this idea of, you know, we need to be teaching students how to be photographers and not rely on gear to, you know, to drive. Um, and honestly, I've, I, I don't, I teach my students not to trust that electronic viewfinder. And so, you know, they've got to be able to read that meter, even if they're in that, you know, using the EVF, because if they understand not just a meter, but metering modes, they're really going to know uh, what that final image is going to look like, you know, and it's not, I'm not saying it's the end of the world. If, if you're a little bit off, especially dynamic range of cameras now really gives you some wiggle room. However, you know, if you know your metering modes and you know how to read a meter, you know, you can almost ignore what that EVF is doing because I, I do have, I've got, uh, uh, several, generations of mirrorless cameras now and there is some pretty big differences in those electronic viewfinders and so you know uh and a side note we've got this z9 this nikon z9 it doesn't have a shutter at all it's only electronic shutter which is you know that was a very strange experience but what it showed me is that every camera that comes out now every from any major uh, camera man manufacturer this rolling shutter that distortion I mean, I just don't think it's going to be a consideration anymore. Um, you have to you have to think about it with your with your older cameras. And I've got some Nikon Z6s and uh, 7s that it they suffer from that. But I don't I don't feel like it's uh, an issue at all because you know, like you were saying, Clint, I don't want my students shooting 30 frames a second. You know, I mean, even the good one, even the really good photographers, I, I wouldn't go out and shoot 30 frames a second. You know uh for long because that just is uh, that's really unmanageable and we have a really good file management system uh where we're doing we just got a, a new lab installed and we're doing 10 gigabit to our server and yeah. it's still even though it's way faster it still is not it's still not manageable when you get you know two three thousand images you know from one game from one photographer so oh yeah um, and then especially if you like with us <clears throat> when we do home games it's all hands on deck and so then you got, right. you got 15 kids yeah. that have right. that many and they're right. all trying to dump to the server at the same time. It's like it's that's just 45 minutes a kid. And that, and that gets, <laughs> right. that's murders. Right. Yeah. Oh, wait, right. I really right. appreciate you. I really appreciate you sharing that too. I, uh, you, uh, forgive me my, um, you know, out of the box, 30 frames. I'm like, Oh my God, but you're absolutely hey, hey. in practice. Absolutely. Hey, right. I, I think I felt the same way, you know, I still do. I still like to go out there and mess with it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the big thing with this is, and I, I've said this repeatedly, that cameras and lenses are like hammers. You know, there's if you take a, a sledgehammer and try to put on baseboards, you're going to put a hole in your wall, you know, or you try to roof your, uh, you know, your house with you know the wrong type of hammer, you know, it's just not going to work right. And so each one of these has a, a segmentation of what it's good at doing, you know, and, and the generally the with i think nikon's the opposite like the bigger the number the better the camera and then canon's the smaller the number the better the camera like the r3 the r5s and things like that but the more the more you spend money the more that they're going to be a little more backwards compatible but like i know the eos r not it's not it's great it's a great camera and when i got it in my hands i was like this is awesome but it is it has limitations but i see those limitations going away with you know, the higher end cameras, but not everybody can be able to afford that. You know, mm -hmm. fortunately I'm a career and technology teacher that actually gets to do cross curricular with journalism. So I, I'm able to access some of that funding, but not everybody's able to do that. A lot of folks I know, especially in Texas are still under that, that English department umbrella and there's no money there. 
So they right. got they got to deal with whatever they can deal with. But that leads me to my next thing. Um, if we're purchasing gear, and I have been a big proponent of not purchasing kits at at any former fashion uh, for several years because I always feel like the cameras are great, but the problem is uh, the the manufacturers put those those lenses in those eighteen to fifty fives or eighteen to one thirty fives, and then when they zoom, they're at five six on the long end, but then they're three point five on the short end, and if you're trying to teach a kid aperture and then that aperture changes as they zoom, they just don't, they don't grasp that. Yep. And I've always thought that those are a bad idea for people to buy and just kind of build your own kit. What's, what's y'all's theory or thoughts on those? The, in, in the summer, the only way that we got the cameras was by buying the kits, which is to say worldwide, they were sold out of the body only. And BNH called me and said, Hey, we, we know you've been waiting for, it was like five weeks. Um, if you can give us, it felt a little bit bait and switchy, but I know that they're a reputable company. They said, if you can give us $400 more, we can send it out to you tomorrow. And I, we had extra in the budget and I understood the situation and it was our first exposure to RF. Um, so we went, we went for it and the kit is the, um, 18 to 150 variable aperture, obviously, as you noted, um, it's this little Coke can of a lens. Um, and I'll be honest, like my kids, my kids love it outdoor sunshiny day um to answer your question and, I, and i'm i'm curious to hear wade's thoughts with the uh closet of other lenses that we have at this point grabbing that adapter and just going in on that knowing that we could bring all of our ef stuff to play it made it a real easy situation or a real easy um call for us to think body only originally for somebody buying brand new who, um, Clint, I'm thinking about all these posts that you and I respond to on, on Facebook, right? When somebody's like, I've, I've got, I've got a thousand dollars. We've got six different bodies. Half of them are Nikon, half of them are Canon. They're all old. What do we do now? I, I've got to think my advice to somebody 2023 would be to go, uh, sorry, to go long. I would want to know what they have and then go body and adapter lens and and play it that way. I think because that, that kit lens concern, the variable aperture nature of them, I think that concern hasn't gone away. Uh, Wade, would you say that same thing? Go to, go to your bench of what you have or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't use kit lenses. Um, and, you know, I guess I could see buying a, a, you know, a body and a kit lens if it was your only option and maybe, you know, you're getting a little, you know, I, I, I think I actually I think now, you know, I mean, those kit lenses are by and large, at least for the Nikons, I know uh, the kit lenses are going to be as much or more uh, expensive than the adapter. And so I'm not sure if it would ever be cost effective to buy the body and the kit lens. And we just don't use them. Um, and, you know, it's partly because of the variable aperture. Mm -hmm. Um, because that is, I mean, that's, that's not only tough for a kid to learn whenever that thing is, is that when you're, when your uh, aperture is changing, when you're zooming in and out, it's also hard for them when they're, you know, uh, you know, out and they're trying to learn manual and they're not used to really looking at, you know, it could be helpful with a mirrorless, you know, when they, when that aperture changes on them and they're running and gunning and all of a sudden, you know, they've zoomed in and now everything's underexposed because they've got, you know, uh, two stops, you know, difference yeah. in their, in their images. That's, you know, that's tough. That's tough as well. But, 
Um, yeah, if I've got all these, if I got all these, you know, lenses sitting on shelves in the back, you know, I just don't know why you would, I don't know why you would go to one of those kit lenses. I mean, you know, we tell people all the time in scholastic journalism, Hey, if nothing else, go buy a nifty 50. I would rather have a nifty 50 on my camera any day of the week than an 18 to 55. Um, I'll throw that versatility of focal length out the window. If I could have a 50 millimeter that opens up really wide and, you know, uh, you know, just force you to be a little bit more creative and that, you know, that's a very cost effective way, you know, to, you know, put a few lenses on your shelf if you don't have them already. Um, the mirrorless ones are more expensive than back in the day when we used to tell people all the time, Hey, hundred bucks, you can get a nifty 50. Yeah. Uh, you can't really do that anymore with mirrorless, but you sure can adapt one. Um, and so, uh, I do that all day long. Wade, I'm, I'm curious. I'm a big advocate and Clint knows this. We're, we're huge on, um, on the Sigma lenses. Uh, I'm not a CTE teacher. So my money is what my kids raise. And so, <clears throat> and I've met people, I'm not suggesting this about either of you who, who have taken, um, me to task and been like nothing, nothing but the best for my kids. It's going to be red ring, you know, L series. And I'm like, like, you're going to give Jimmy the freshman an L series lens, like right out of the gate. Like I get it. And I understand having that for your experienced kids, whatever it was, you know, five years ago, if we could grab a Sigma and save $400, uh, on, on like a 70 to 200, I'd say, do it every day of the week, do it. Um, my understanding is that Canon has not opened up the R mount to development by Sigma and Tamron yet. My question to you, long-winded Wade, is do you know anything about the Z mount for Nikon? Are they letting them play with third-party lens mounts yet or not? Yeah, they are. They're coming around on it. And I agree with you. I think that Sigma is, I mean, when I was uh, uh, long, long ago, when I was a professional photographer working for newspapers, I had a Tokina. It was one of the, the yeah. first lenses I bought. I mean, those things were made of metal. And, you know, so I've always been an advocate of those third party lenses. Um, I have to um, I, I, I don't know enough of the, the business end of it. But I mean, if it if it was cost effective, if it was a smart business move for Canon in the past, I, I want to think that, you know, that they'll open up the development for those third party lenses in the future. Whether or not they do. I mean, who knows? But uh, if and when they do, I think it's a great idea. I mean, you know, Nikon and Canon both now, you know, just like everything in our lives, they're just getting more and more expensive. I mean, we're looking at north of twenty five hundred bucks now for the Canon or the Nikon seventy to two hundred, you know, right. and then you've got the twenty four to seventy two point eights that everybody wants, and the fourteen to twenty fours. Those are all now, you know, jumped way over two grand. And so, uh, you know, we're lucky enough at my school where I can, you know, I can purchase, you know, gear like that. But I also, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, if I've got a big staff of photographers, I agree with you. I'm not going to let them run out with the best gear, you know, on the planet. And this is coming from somebody I, I left, I let my students use, uh, when I was, a when I was a press photographer, I had a 400 um, which I, you know, don't have any real use for day to day now. So I let them take that out. I'll let them shoot with, with that lens. So I'm not somebody who's afraid to let kids go out, you know, and use expensive gear. But I mean, even if I could afford, you know, I guess if money was no object, maybe, you know, freshman Jimmy that I don't trust yet. Maybe, you know, I still think the responsible thing to do would be to, you know, you know, let somebody earn their marks first before they can go and take that kind of gear out. So I love the idea of Sigma. 
uh, and any of the third party uh, lenses. I mean, some of those Sigma lenses, you know, uh, not that I'm not really a pixel peeper kind of guy, but some of those Sigma art lenses rival Canon and Nikon, the best that they've got. They're amazing lenses. So um, I guess we just a dirty little secret, but now they're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know everybody knows. But yeah. So I guess just cross your fingers on, uh, on the future, what the future holds there. Cause man, those RF and Z lenses, oof, they are, you know, they don't give them away, you know? No, they don't. Um, <clears throat> talking about, uh, being able to use the mounts or the, the adapters and things. One of the things that I did was, is I built together uh, kits for my, my staff photographers. And so every camera had, uh, and this is before we had any RF mount stuff. We just had the R's and then we had the adapters and I bought uh 50 millimeter 1.8s and 24 millimeter pancakes, little 2.8 lenses. And then I bought, and that, so every student was given a bag, a camera, and those two lenses. So everybody's got that as a kit. And then anything else is like, like you said, on the, the more expensive stuff is a checkout. So they can check out a 7200. They can sit, check out uh, 85 1.8s, uh, some 10 to 24s in there that we have is, that are Tamron as well. So I, I don't think that what a lot of people think about, you know, well, I, I need to buy that big 7200. I got to have this. I have that. Yeah, you do, but you don't have to have all of them at one time. And mm-hmm. and one of the things that everybody I always, I've been stressing in our previous shows also is I started this program at Texas High in, in 2008. There was nothing there before then. Um, the yearbook had two rebels, you know, and we didn't have a photography class. And that was one of those things where it was uh, is like, okay, I need some seed money. And then we have built every year. So with the budget we get every year, we buy, we'd buy something new. We'd buy something new. And after about 10 or 15 years, we ended up with, like y'all, you guys said, you had a stable of things. And if you take care of your lenses and stuff, they will work for a really long time. I mean, our one of our 7200 F4s that we had bought in 2008 finally died, you know, just the other day. And it's, it's 2023. And if you, if you take care of your gear... It, you know, and, and that is one of the hard things with, with kids using it and a lot of kids using it over and over and over again is it will wear out. But um, I would spend $125 on a on a 51.8 and a 24 millimeter pancake and just tell them to, hey, you know, use your aerobic zoom. You know, you know, if you need to get close and have a wide angle shot, then you change out that lens and you move your feet, you know, and. I think uh, a lot of times we get so used to just having the zoom or, or those things that we don't think about actually uh, using all of our tools at our disposal, if that makes right. sense. Well, and I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want a whole staff of photographers stay at a football game where everybody says, well, I got to have a 70 to 200 or a 300 or whatever. I need that to be able to cover this event. And w- what, what I always say is, you know, what, what's key there is covering the event. If I've got one or two kids with a 70 to 200, I don't want anybody else pointing their lens out on the football field, you know, because it's an event. There's so much going on. If you got a 50 and you got a 24, you can cover, you know, more than half of the event. Cause I would say more than half of the event doesn't happen, you know, out on the field. And so even at those events where, where kids, you know, get slumped shoulder, if they're going to a game and they don't have the gear that they want, I mean, you know, it's actually a positive thing to have a bunch of kids out there that can't 
you know, pop a, you know, long lens and just get the same, you know, images. And we've all seen it as advisors, just the same images over and over and over again. So, yeah, well, you know, and there's something to be right. said. I remember, uh, I think it was maybe my, my first year I taught at the Glory Shields workshop and there was a young lady there that was in the advanced and I was co-teaching with you and Mike McLean and we went out to the, to the water park and I just happened to have my 10 to 24 and all these kids are standing around out there with these long lenses and everything. And I gave that one kid the 10 to 24. And I remember when we did the playback, it was like, Oh my gosh, somebody brought a wide angle lens. Oh yeah. It's not, it's not just everything at distance. And so you're right. Uh, I think coverage takes planning and you know, the way we do it is, uh, a certain, we have a lens rotation. We usually do per, per quarter, uh, for our photographers. Um, but I will say that in my 17 years of teaching, uh, the number of action photos that happened on the field that have won any sort of national award with NSBA, Johnston's, anything like that, uh, I can count on one hand that I think there's been three. And the majority of the rest of our stuff that has won fairly big awards in our uh, in scholastic journalism type stuff has been the ones with those uh, wide-angle lenses or the, the 50 millimeter 1.8s because – I always tell my kiddos, if you can't smell the photo, it's not a good photo. And mm -hmm. so using yeah. those wide angle lenses yeah. and things, it forces them to get closer to the action. And yeah. I always tell them, look, everybody can see the what's happening on the field, but not everybody can see what's happening, you know, there with the coach with the whiteboard, you know, and he's, you know, in somebody's face and, uh, you know, sure. coaching. And those are the, those, those are the views that we want to tell because it's, it's, it's much harder to get that than, and I don't want to be dismissive about it, but you put a 7200 in a kit with an RF and a R3 in a kid's hands, and they're going to come back with something good. You know, just the technology is that good. But also, the, also asking them to break that their personal bubble and to get out there and learn how to uh, to find the photo and not just pho photograph the, the easiest thing, which photographing football is not necessarily easy, but everybody knows where the action is going to happen generally. And finding something other than the action, uh, especially in sports. And we're photojournalists, right? Right. You so, tell the story. I mean, our our job, yeah, it's all about telling a story. And uh, you know, a good action shot is awesome, but it's you know, honestly, most of the good action shots, even the ones that win awards, are not storytelling images because they're not the action shots that you know. If you aspire to be like a professional, the storytelling action shot's not the best action shot. It's the one that told the story. You know the outcome of the game. And so those are very difficult to get because those happen, you know, once or twice in a game. And it's very hard for a high school photographer to nail that shot. So if I'm telling a story, you know, I'm probably going to be expanding outside of that action to, to, to do it. And it really, and it's a part of the gear conversation that I really like is that really opens up a lot of the kids and schools that can't afford all this really high end gear. I mean, it really opens up a lot of opportunity for them at the same sporting events or venues uh, to tell a lot, make really compelling images and tell really good stories when they can't go and buy R3s or, you know, uh, the Z9s or, you know, hopefully that R1 is just around the corner. I know, Clint, you probably are, you know, yeah. checking Canon rumors every day. So you know what's going on there? I tell you what, the R3 is freaking amazing. I can't imagine what, I mean, the 
the R one's going to wash my dishes for me. I think if it comes yeah. down. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing is that after using this Nikon Z nine, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure I want anything better to come out because you know I I, I fancy myself this skilled photographer, and it's like, what good am I going to be? You know, right. really soon, you know. I'm going to kind of shift gears here and let's kind of get into uh, what can we do to to overcome shortcomings. You know, if you can't afford the the mirrorless, you know, or if you can't afford a mirrorless, you know, how do you get around the bad lighting in the gym? Hmm. I'll just make one point before we move on there. Uh, if you can't afford mirrorless or you can't afford whatever gear it is that you're after, you know, so that you can meet those challenging lighting situations. I always recommend at least make your administration tell you no on used gear. Uh, I've bought a ton of used gear. Um, and uh, if you buy it from a reputable dealer that, that has clear ratings on the gear and a return policy, um, it's I've never been burned by it. Never, you know, knock on wood. You know, I'm sure people have in the past, but um, you can get anywhere from you know, uh, 10% to 60% savings on that gear. I was just looking at uh, Nikon and Canon used gear on B&H, and uh, I, I, there's some really good deals on mirrorless, on new new gear. Um, in fact, there was a uh, Canon uh, RF 70 to 200 2.8 for like 1900 bucks, and they had it rated at like a nine. So that means when you get it, it's going to look brand new. And you've just saved yourself, what, five, six hundred bucks. So um, anyway, I just preface it. You know, I'm I'm a big proponent of uh, I don't really I don't buy a lot of used cameras, but the lenses, I'll do that all day long. I am going to give the audience uh, a little bit of a story uh, for me and kind of the impetus that made my admin go, okay, well, let's let's think about this. So in Texas, uh, UIL is the uh, governing body for athletics and a lot of scholastic journalism and contests and things as well. And as far as I can tell in the rules for basketball, it said that you can't use flash at the state championship game. And then it said anything else was left up to local administrators of the game. Well, I took on camera flash. Yeah. On camera flash. And I was I took issue with that one little sentence that it said the local administrators of the game. So (laughs) I I played devil's advocate because about seven or eight years ago, our district decided to uh, do an energy audit and they bought new lights for the gym and it cut the light in half, which in photography terms, that's a stop, you know? And so for us to get any images, we're shooting at, you know, 3,200 at 2.8 and we're, getting three twentieth of a second, if we're lucky, you know, we're not even breaking that five hundredth of a second to stop action, uh, Mark. So I took the Canon at that time, uh, the 580 EX, not even the radio controlled ones, uh, with, uh, and I think I may even use some young Nuos that Mike had Mm -hmm. told me to buy. And I took them with, uh, pocket wizards and I mounted them way up high in the, in the bleachers, you know, using some super clamps. And if, if we were losing, no teams ever complained. <laughs> but uh, the moment that any of our teams started winning, oh my gosh, they're flashing our guys. They're fl- they're, they're they're running the flash and it's causing it. And so we would we'd get about half a game shot and then we'd have to turn them off. And 
finally the kids were calling me and they're like, Hey, look, they're not letting us use the flash. So I, I went to a game and I ended up stopping two basketball games and having a conversation at mid court with the refs <laughs> over the rules and wow. getting, asking them to show me exactly where they could do that. And the only reason I did this was, is because in Texas, UIL also has photography contest for scholastic journalism. And I, my opinion was, and they couldn't argue with me on this, or at least they didn't, that one UIL program can't discriminate against another UIL program. And so we were allowed to finish out shooting those games, and I ended up having a conversation with my principal about it. And she said, okay, I was a volleyball coach, and if you would have pulled that and I was a visiting coach, I'd been really hot. And I was like, I, I understand. I said, but these coaches are telling my kids they can't, they can't perform. I said, which is wrong. And she goes, what do we need to do to fix that? And I said, relight the gym. And she said, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I said, okay, well, then we're going to have to buy new cameras. That conversation then turned into us getting all new cameras yeah. for, for our, for, and, and it, it took me advocating for my kiddos. Now with that long story and how that happened, what are other ways besides, you know, being I'm 40 something years old, I'm too old to go diving into lockers anymore. <laughs> you know, what, what other things can we do to uh, help with the shortcomings of, of gear? I think I think buying buying the best that you can is a, a valid starting point. And I'm not trying to get around the question um, pedantically, Clint, but you know, even a a, a Canon T8i um, SLR from 2020 has you know SCADs better high ISO performance than the T5s and T6s you know five years previous. And Canon was churning those out. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you're backing me up here too that. The, the pace uh, or the tempo of new releases was was pretty high i think on the on the nikon um intro cameras uh, but you saw them get better and better and better performance and you know more and more student athletes in badly lit gyms that looked like they had skin conditions from the high grain at higher iso um i i don't know i mean i'm curious how you guys would feel about some of the the denoise um plugins and tools to bring stuff back out of topaz and some of the others I, i've dabbled a little bit with them um just to explore and and kind of you know be nerdy about it it's not part of our workflow right now um the 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 advocacy with a school administrator i i mean it's it's physics right it's light so you're you're the, the only thing that's not an expensive lens or a super expensive body or relighting the lens uh, unless I'm being a simpleton about it, isn't it just boosting the ISO as high as you're comfortable uh, until things get real noisy? Wade, do you see stuff differently, man? No, I mean, just from a, a pure settings point of view, yeah, I mean, that's all there is to it. Um, side note, we have pretty good lighting in our gym. We've got these new high output uh, um, fluorescent lights. Um, they do flicker, you know, uh, but there's ways around that. But so we were up to like, uh, we're shooting at like ISO 10,000. We're getting close to a thousandth of a second. And then last summer, they painted our entire gym from floor to ceiling, dark purple. Because uh, we're purple and gold. They painted, I just have to repeat this to myself all the time. <laughs> they so painted sad. the whole thing purple. And I couldn't believe it. 
I was so excited because the gym just has looked horrible for the longest time. And over the summer, they're like, we're spending all this money to like remodel this thing. It's going to be great. And I, I walk in there and I was like, and, and I, it was a, it should have been a, a tip off. The principal told me, you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of uh, give this place the name, the purple pit. And he wasn't kidding. <laughs> it is awful. I it mean, it sucks terrible. all the light out of the, out of the gym. <laughs> it really does. I mean, people that don't realize, you know, that aren't photographers don't realize, you know, how much light you get from surfaces bouncing, you know, available light back yep. and forth. And yep. when you take that away, it makes a huge difference. And so, um, you know, just the strategy, I think, um, outside of just the physics of light and the, the, capabilities of the cameras to gather that light and to reproduce it, you know, with high ISOs outside of that stuff, that's just the strategies of saying, you know, it's the same things we were talking about with football is, you know, um, one of my big things when I'm teaching is I'm, I always teach positioning at games. Well, if you position yourself right at a basketball game, you've got some wiggle room to be able to, to shoot, you know, um, with different gear, you know, if, if you can get up, you know, when a whistle is blown and you can move over towards the bench and photograph, you know, our, our school is our, our basketball team and coaches, you know, volleyball too, we're cool with us getting close and shooting pictures, you know, in huddles and stuff like that. You know, when you start using wider angles, you know, you can slow your shutter speed down a little bit, you know, uh, versus when you're using a long lens. And so there's some things like that. But I would say that, you know, you got to be at 2.8, you know, that's got to be your cutoff when you're shooting in a gym, not like that. But just like the, the, the pancake lenses that Clint was talking about and those 51 eights, those little nifty fifties. I mean, if you can open up to 1.8, I mean, no, even better, you know, I talk a little bit with my kids about, you know, when you're opened up to 1.8 and you're getting really close in a huddle, you know, just, you know, these mirrorless cameras make it so much easier to keep in focus with that super shallow depth of field, because, you know, like you said, it's like these new cameras we got, you just point them and press the button. And it's just like, it just grabs their eye. And you're like, Oh, wow. Even for our studio stuff, our studio stuff looks better because somehow it's grabbing the iris and not the eyelash, you know? So, um, because of that sort of stuff, I think that you just, uh, you know, I think you have to be creative with your strategy and not feel like you have to shoot a long lens all the time. Those gems. Um, we also have the, after they, you know, painted that, that, that gem purple, some of the those high output fluorescents right above one of the baskets went out and they just wouldn't change it. And I just I constantly was saying, hey, why let's change that? Because there was just like this hole underneath the uh, uh, this one basket. Well, my students decided just uh, they we did a little mount and we just set a camera on the floor and we did wide angle shots underneath the the uh, um, basket there. And we kind of slowed our shutter speed down a little bit. We were shooting it like uh around 18 millimeters you know and we were getting a lot of good stuff that way and it was like it was kind of one of those moments for me and i was like well i used to do this all the time but i haven't been teaching my kids to do it right. even if the light was perfect ah this is so refreshing to see a photograph that's not the same as every photograph not just that i see at my school but i see everybody shooting and so um that's kind of how i would tackle especially those gym situations because they can be tough and and clint i want to you know i i, I feel like i speak from a, a position of privilege on on finance um only that my kids really really work hard um to sell business ads and senior tribute ads for the yearbook um i don't we could do a whole podcast just on financing scholastic journalism we are not a cte program so we don't tap into those resources and funds but i i have um i recognize that 
there's as many different situations across America as there are different student media programs across America. But anything that somebody could do to, you know, reach out to the pizza place and the other place and the other place and the other place to each kick in like a hundred bucks and and have your kids go out and say, you know, we're we're raising money for this lens so that we can shoot better sports in our field house or in our stadium. Will you support, you know, a tenth of the lens or, you know, there's all sorts of things between ads and sponsorships, talking to your sports booster club. Um, there, there's so many places where uh, with a, a it all adds up mentality that I think student media advisors and, and student journalists could make things happen. I, and I get that there are challenges. I'm not saying there aren't, but between again, you know, ads and bake sales and campaigns and and single night, you know, events or doing a photo booth at prom and doing a little bit of a markup with the gear that you do have to invest in more gear forward. Uh, it doesn't happen all overnight. Um, but with a, a plan and, and, and some dedication to it, I, I think that student media staffs really can create some opportunities for themselves. But like I said, maybe that's a, a future podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'd have to put that down in my notes. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. I yeah. mean, I love that idea because, because I, you know, when I always, I, <laughs> ever since I started teaching, I've always said it's not the gear, it's the photographer. But we know that, you know, to some degree, that's true. Um, but there's a real need for very specific gear to shoot in the conditions that we face. Um, I, I would say also, advisors really need to be hands-on with students even advisors that aren't big in photography um they shouldn't leave anything on the table when it comes to iso you know i mean if that's if your lens is what it is and if they're opening that thing up as wide as it'll go thumbs up but they need they need to make sure that they're maxing that iso out and the only way to max an iso out is to shoot test shots and to print them and to look at them and as a staff, the advisor, the photographers get together and you guys decide together what's the highest ISO acceptable on this particular camera model that we're willing to go to. And then every time a photographer goes and shoots in one of those situations, they should be at that ISO. They should be at that shutter speed at that f-stop so that you have consistency uh, throughout your publications for that camera. And I always try to uh, emphasize to advisors and to, to student photographers, it's the camera that specific model camera that you're deciding what the ISO should be. As soon as you change that model, you go back to the drawing board and you, you know, uh, decide over again anew on this new camera model. I've got students that will come back and they've shot at like ISO 3200 with one of our new mirrorless cameras. And it's just like, you know, that's not, you know, or somebody has been using it on auto ISO and they forget, they stick it on whatever ISO that they want. And then it jumps all over the place. But, um, in teaching, I do see students and advisors that don't understand that that will leave exposure on the table because of that ISO, because they're afraid, you know, uh, there's some old school advisors that, you know, come from film days and man, you get to ISO 3200 and you, you know, you are right up, you're at the edge of the cliff. And it's sometimes it's hard to, to convince yourself that 6400 12,800. That's like, that's insane. 12,800. But on some of these cameras, you buy a new mirrorless camera, you, you got to go shoot, you got to print it out and you, you'll convince yourself of it, you know? And that's, that's probably your biggest asset right now in scholastic journalism in these, these challenging lighting situations, these new cameras, they're no joke. I mean, they, they can do some stuff with ISO. That's just, I, 
I would have never thought possible. Well, and to kind of dovetail off of that, you know, I had, <clears throat> I was of the, the, the thought of, you know, basically 1600, that that's probably as bad as high as you want to go. And then started really getting into the, the mirrorless, the new Canon mirrorless. And I started, okay, well let's play. And so then we went 64 and then we went 12,800. I'm like, Hey, I'm getting usable stuff out of this. However, it depended on the camera. So if it was the R5 and the R3, easily do those. The EOS R, eh, 3200 is really our max on that one. Um, but one of the things that I noticed last summer while teaching at the Gloria Shields workshop is I had a lot of students that came in with relatively older gear. And I had this young one lady that came in with a Canon 40D. Now, mm-hmm. this thing was in immaculate shape, and she had a, a 24 to 105 F4 that was immaculate as well. But literally, that camera maxed out at 6,400 <clears throat> on the expanded ISO. And mm-hmm. so I always made the joke of, yeah, your grandmother made really good cookies, but nobody ever said it was her oven. You know, it was, it was grandma. Kind of like, you know, for us, for the photographers, the guy that makes the photo. But I, I, I am... I have shifted to that to a certain degree now, whereas um, I do realize that you can't, you know, there are newer hammers <laughs> that do the job better. And at some point you can't just keep using that 40D that was made in 2007 you know, seven or 2008 and expect it to be performing at a level that you need to, especially with, um, you know, cause everybody did an energy audit, you know, that's how they got their funding, you know? And so now all the gyms are crappy lighting and never got painted purple. <laughs> Well, and, and is well, there's to be said too, like you can make, you can make cabinets with a handsaw, but you can also do it with a table saw and, and you're going to have straighter cuts and it's going to be more efficient and, and, and it's going to open up more possibilities for you as well. Wait, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh no, no. I was just gonna, I was just gonna throw another analogy in there. Well, I mean, it's more specific to photography. I mean, you know, Clint, you know, it's like back in the day. You know, you have to keep up with the technology and I'll never stop saying that it's the photographer, not the gear, but you have to keep up with the technology. I mean, back in the day, you know, when, when Fuji 800 film was not widely available and people were pushing ISO 400 film to 1600, I'm one of those people who used to do that. I mean, you're crazy if when Fuji 800 came out, you weren't pushing that to 1600 and getting better results. The problem, though, is that that was easy. That was like, you know, that was this cartridge that that was your ASA or ISO. Nowadays, it's the cameras. And when you're not like like somebody who's really into photography like us, an advisor, and you get a new camera, you have to trust that that camera is going to perform better if you click it to those higher ISOs, you know. And I just like I, I don't mean to be a broken record, but I see it all the time where people with newer cameras are sticking with those ISOs that they were comfortable, you know, with, with a generation older camera, you can't do that. And, you know, and once you know what that ISO is, you got to figure out a way to get a whole staff of photographers to take that model into whatever the, the lighting is to get it on that ISO, because that's, you know, knowing what to do and getting, you know, having processes in place so that they will actually get the camera settings where they need to be. That's a whole trick in and of itself. I mean, that that's, that's, I guess that kind of goes to the pedagogy of, you know, what we do, but I mean, you know, you gotta be able to teach that stuff. You, you gotta be able to, you know, maximize that gear because if somebody does do all the stuff that we've talked about, raise funds, or if you're a school that, you know, has access to funds and you get this gear, 
you know, you got to know how to use it as smart as it is. You still have to know how to maximize it um, because, you know, it's 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 just silly to have a, a camera that'll go to twelve thousand eight hundred ISO and you're shooting at ISO sixty four hundred. You know, well, I really like what you said a couple minutes ago, Wade. It's going to stick with me when we're done recording here with Clint today. But that that concept of leaving exposure on the table um, really, really hooked in my brain um, because I think I'm probably one of those advisors that's guilty of not following um, your advice. Uh, we, I think I was more comfortable when we picked up the R7s at saying, like, here's where our ceiling was on the 7D Mark IIs. Um, wow, look at how well the R7s do at that ceiling. And and we didn't push further. So now I'm like, okay, new year, you know, my the ball's going to drop on uh, Sunday night or whatever. I see my kids on Tuesday. And I'm really excited to kind of sit with these thoughts that you're sharing and and take that gear um, even further, because I don't think we've fully embraced um, all of the potential. So I want to I want to thank you for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love doing this kind of of stuff and sharing these ideas uh i get so much out of it as well people don't realize that the that your shutter speed when you get that shutter speed a little bit faster a little bit faster it makes a huge difference in the sharpness of your images and it's not just the motion of the athletes it's those long lenses and you being steady everything gets better so every third of a stop really makes a yeah. difference and yeah. you don't want to leave any of that you know when you could really tighten up your tighten up your images so Oh yeah, it's and I, tough I to do. Definitely agree with that because uh, you can see a huge difference between the tips of fingers uh, at five hundredth of a second as compared to you know a thousandth of a second, and then fifteen or two thousand. You know, so yeah. But walking that exposure in that one third of a stop at a time, and then you know really understanding your histogram. And I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to do a whole lesson on histograms uh, that we actually record. <laughs> that way we can show those, but understanding how to walk that exposure in and get it, you know, nailed in where you need it to be. Uh, that's a, that's a big thing that, like you said, you, you can't leave exposure on the table. Well, guys, we've hit our time limit. Uh, I really do appreciate you guys coming on. Um, anything, anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we go? I, I wish we had taken the leap uh, sooner and, and more efficiently. I was, you know, I was slow playing it. I thought it was going to be newfangled and, you know, that people were just chasing the the new shiny. Uh, but we like we saw we saw honestly in the first couple of days, like what a game changer it's going to be. All of our investments from here on out are going to be to mirrorless. And um, I'm going to keep an eye while we were recording. I, I Googled um, RF and Sigma. Uh, for the Canon RF lens and the um, CEO of Sigma was on a podcast early in December uh, said that they're very interested in Canon opening up the mount um, to development. There's nothing yet definitively, but I will be on Canon rumors uh, on the daily as Wade said, looking for news. So Clint, thanks for having us. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah I, man. I, I do want to ask you guys one thing though, because I know we're, we're Mike and I follow this, but the reason why Wade is here because he's the one guy I know that shoots Nikon. <laughs> Um, I know that Mike and I have taught with Canon specifically because, well, for me, it's what I had whenever I started teaching, but also the menu system. If I go to a Canon D30 from 2000 and I go and I look at the menu system now, they're almost, they're not identical, but there's a definite lineage. Is the Nikon menu system, has it been updated more user-friendly, uh, Wade? Yeah, I mean it's it's 
the the new Z9 that, that I use now, they've added a couple of uh, categories on the the menu, and uh, they put all of the connectivity, uh, uh, whether it's Ethernet or Wi-Fi or any of these things, they put it in its own menu system. They've cleaned some other stuff up, so I find it very. I mean, part of it is because I've used it for so long, of course, but I I, I find it to be really user friendly. I mean, back in the days when uh, I was shooting and transmitting a lot. Uh, on like some of the first ethernet cameras um i I think that all the menu systems back in those days were uh tough to deal with um but uh yeah i if 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 we why would you do this if you weren't a nikon shooter but if we sat down with some of these new nikon mirrorless i I think that i could have you convinced pretty quick of how user-friendly and uh, i we also have some canon gear we have a we have a couple of r6s um, and so, well, I knew I've you had both. Pretty, so that's where I was kind of like, you know, what's the difference between the two now? Like if, if somebody well, had I mean, to make a one, decision. Well, the one thing that I like about the cannons is that, you know, you can use one dial and you can spin through the entire menu system just with one dial. I mean, it would take you a long time if you were going from, you know, one end to the other. Um, but I do like that. Um, but I feel like if, if there's, if there's one thing that you want to get, I mean, I could convince myself both ways. If there's one <laughs> thing I want to get to on the Nikon, I feel like I could get there faster on the Nikon than I can with the Canon. Um, but, you know, that would lead me into the, the, your ability to customize both of these things are almost infinite. And so I love that. Um, there, there is, there, there, one thing about the new Nikons and you have to get to the upper level Nikons. There's some, uh, um, banks that you can create that you can't on the cannons where I can set these, I can set banks where I can spin through different, uh, um, whole banks of settings and it'll just set my camera to pre-specified, uh, settings, which is pretty cool. So like, I haven't messed with that a whole lot. So though. like gym and football field and something like sure. that. Yeah. Gotcha. Sure, you could do any of those. You could just spin through them and it's going to pop your camera, which, you know, I, I, I would do that with students, but I want the students to do that for themselves. Right. You know, so I don't want them to I don't want them to switch over to a bank and be like, ah, I don't have to think about this now. You know, so. well, I will say this about our cameras is, you know, they're all touchscreen. So yeah. I, none of my kids ever use the dial for anything. And they always make fun of me because I am using the dial. I'm like an old man, you know, but, <laughs> but um the thing, the thing that's the funny thing for me is I've given all of my students copies of the the owner's manual. You know, like okay, you need to read this to where you can figure out how to use it. Most of them are still in the plastic. <laughs> I go check their bags. Right. They, yeah. like, they have their own bag, got their name on it. The the it's still sitting there. You know, uh, they go with. I taught them ISO aperture shutter speed and how to control it, and uh, we're good. <laughs> So I've taught my kids how to go and open those PDFs of the manuals up and use, you know, command F or control F to type in what they want right. and get it, get it quick. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I think the one I know, I know we need to wrap up Clint. I think the one thing, and maybe it's a, a another podcast when we're with kids at camps and things, I'm a pretty intelligent guy and I, I will fully uh, admit my Canon biases. It's obviously what I know best, but I have a hard time finding just like give me the iso setting i always have to i feel like i always have to look it up 
Um, and, and for whatever reason on Canon, there's just a button that says ISO. So I'm either missing it on every Nikon I've ever touched. <laughs> um, but I just, I've laughed at myself sometimes. And then I've got kids that will show up at a workshop who are Nikon native and they're like, come on, old man, just like figure it out. Uh, but maybe that's a, a chat for another day. <laughs> All righty. Well, guys, thank you very much for, uh, this edition of our, the photo advisor podcast. Uh, we've been talking with, uh, Mike Simmons from Corning, New York and Wade Kennedy, uh, Join us next week. Hopefully we'll be talking about gear checkout systems. Thanks, guys. Thank you.